Welcome back to the Mental Health Commute with Dr. Walt Duffy and Matt Duffy. In this episode, we are going to talk about hope, and we are going to let Matt frame how we are going to talk about exactly, because hope is a very broad topic and term. One thing I've been looking at over the past couple of years that just seemed to be popping up a lot in the, the research area and articles is what role does a person's mindset play in their ability to achieve outcomes in their care? plays into both physical and mental struggles it looks like you know a lot of the articles that come out are cancer related or and they are consistently finding that a person's ability to be hopeful that they'll come through has a positive impact on their ability to have the treatment be beneficial and it's almost so powerful that they're seeing it some cases is more powerful than the medical treatment that they're giving They'll take two people that have the the same disease, same stage, same outlook for outcome. Consistently over a population, they're seeing a, a drastic statistical difference in whether or not the treatment works based on whether or not people believe it's going to work, whether or not they believe or have hope that they're going to get better. Actually, you know, that relates to research because what they've seen in research in recent years is that the placebo response rate has gone up, so it's been more difficult in some types of studies to show a difference between placebo, which is no active medicine, and the active medicine because the placebo response rate is so high. And so people entering that study, if they have hope that they're going to be put on the actual medicine, you see them starting to get better no matter what. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, what I really question in all this and why I wanted to talk about it is, from my perspective, mental health is a category of diseases that actively attacks someone's ability to have hope. Contrary to if you have a broken arm, your brain is still functioning, and the brain is where hope comes from, right? The part of your body that is responsible for creating hope is broken and won't allow you to have hope. Is that a big barrier in treating mental health in general? And if it is, how can we, either as providers, family members, friends, help people have hope when they feel hopeless? So personally, I believe it's a, a huge barrier if you cannot have hope. You know, my own personal belief is in transcranial magnetic stimulation, the TMS that we talk about. What we specifically talk about with our patients in that treatment is that it is extremely important while you're under the hood, that means <laughs> under the cap and getting the treatment, that you're thinking positive thoughts. If you have music on, it's more positive. And the feel, belief is by us is that if we can activate those positive hope centers in your network, that that's what the coil is going to most actively work on. We want to strengthen those. We don't want to strengthen the negative, despairing thoughts, correct? We have just seen over and over in our personal experience over the past 10-plus years of doing this that those who we cannot get to have a little bit of hope throughout their entire course of TMS, they have a much worse response rate. And I see that just in daily treatment overall. Somebody's coming in, and they just feel like, you know, there's just no hope for me. I've tried things, and there's just no hope. I'll call it surrogate hope. If I can't give them, or one of us can't give them a little bit of surrogate hope, 
and they can attach onto that for a little while, they usually do not do as well. And why do I call it surrogate hope? Because the goal is I'll take it on for you for a little while, but it's going to come back and it's going to be yours. It is wrong of me to take the hope from you and say you only have hope as long as you're working with me. I hold on to the hope, right? The goal is to develop that and for you to become to believe in the hope and that, hey, this is yours. You own it. This is why you're getting better. You've been able to do this. And that's going to serve you well going forward, even if you, not even if, when you do have other stressors that come up in your life. You're going to be not as vulnerable. I think one thing I've, I think I've learned, you can tell me if my observations are correct, the way that we have to go about treating the people who are in the severe categories. Because severe, in my mind, most often attaches itself to hopelessness. I feel like if you're in the, the lower categories, you know, mild, moderate, you have a higher chance of having at least somewhat, a little bit of hope in your life, where severe is more of the, the absence of it. I find that we don't wait until someone has hope to do treatment, obviously, right? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> a journey that we have to go on with them, right? Yes. For like TMS, you talk about the importance of positive thought, but we've had experiences in the past, I believe, where there are people who just will not have the positive thought. No, that's the experience. We've had some folks who we have not been able to get to that point, and they usually do not have the best outcome. Not only TMS, but they haven't had the best outcome in any treatment. I feel like when that happens, and maybe what we're not always the best at communicating, is the outcome goal of those treatments really is different for those patients, right? So we're not expecting that that patient is going to get into remission in the treatment. We're almost more expecting, I'm going to get you to a place where we can start actually having conversations about treatment working, and then you're probably going to need it again in the future when you can have the positive thought. I'm going to put a little bit different spin on this because I think this gets to innovation and the way, the reason in, in our practice, Elevation is sponsoring this podcast while we have brought on new treatments. Personally, I feel like we have failed the person in a lot of cases. We haven't been able to find the key that turns the hope engine on. We just hear this all the time. I'm just told that nothing works. It's all in my brain. It's just me. You know, they should have worked, so something's wrong. You should have responded. What's your problem? When we brought on pharmacogenetics, a cheek swab that looks at your DNA, how you metabolize meds, how you might respond to those. Some people initially got that cheek swab, after they had failed, you know, five plus medications and they came in, we're able to explain, this is why you probably did not respond to these. You would see tears, and we still do this, tears coming from people's <clears throat> eyes. And they said, oh my gosh, you actually gave me a reason why I'm not and haven't responded to these. It's not just me. I have hope again, right? When people do not respond to something, it is not necessarily that anything's wrong with them or with the provider or the treatment. It's not the right treatment for you. You're always searching for the, the key for those that you're not able to give the best result for, right? That's how I look at it. And I think we've talked about this in previous episodes is it's really hard to have hope if you don't have understanding. And the understanding is I want to know why. Why did it not work? Why am I hard to treat? And mental health historically and 
still has a lot of struggles, but for a lot of people fails to be able to answer that question more so than most other disease states that exist out there. And that's interesting in and of itself, because sometimes knowing the how is not going to fix the situation. Sometimes it's coming up to the person and saying the how might not really be the answer that you're looking for. You know, the answer, it might be more of how do we take where you are now and get you better? How did my depression initially start? What if it started? We might not know that for sure, right? We might have some answers, or there might be things that you don't have control of that you're not able to go back and fix. In some cases, it's extremely important. There's a spectrum there. But for some people, if you come in and you don't have hope, and I'm going to spend all my time digging into your past and just making you feel worse at the time, it actually makes you feel more hopeless at the time. You're not able to might not be able to deal with that at this time. And I recently had that with somebody. He got into a type of therapy outside this office, and he actually regressed quite a bit because he was not in a place to deal with that type of therapy. So what we end up doing is having him talk to his therapist and holding off on that and just coming back and dealing with the here now, and things got much better over the course of a week or two. So you just need to understand where people are at different places in time or be willing to change the treatment plan, right? You're trying something. It might work. You're hoping it's work, but if it's not, you might need to readjust. It takes a communication between you and the patient. You hit on two big things there, and I want to try and keep us on track to the, the innovation and the at what stage of treatment do you approach the things before <laughs> before we run out of time on this. So the one you just mentioned was the person not being able to deal with that point of care at the time. Right. right. In historical episodes, we've talked a lot about a lot of times you have to get worse before you can get better. And I think that's an interesting concept from this perspective of how do you go about having the conversation where someone can be hopeful when you're telling them they're going to get worse? Because you really have to believe to some degree that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and you're going to come out better before you're willing to get worse. Correct. So you have to have a relationship uh, with the person you're working with that you've been through this many times before with people and to put some trust in you that you can titrate how far you might allow them to get feeling worse before they get better and actually give them a time course of what that might be. And if we're not hitting that time course, maybe we need to readjust. We're not going that deep. The other one that I think is maybe more exciting is the innovation standpoint. We've talked recently about new research that is starting to be done around psychedelics. You know, ketamine's already out there. We've used ketamine a lot. And ketamine is the, we'll talk about more in a future episode, but it's the the treatment that works quickly compared to other traditional treatment. It can, yes. And what I'm wondering about psychedelics and maybe even to some degree ketamine is, is one of the hopes maybe that those force your mindset to change. They put your brain in a different state. And as part of it, just proving to the patient that it can be different. Well, I believe you are correct. That is a whole entire new episode that we will discuss. So I think we have sort of touched on many facets of hope and where it can touch your life and how you might look at that in treatment. But I believe this is also a good place to sort of end on our journey for today. Thank you for joining us on the Mental Health Commute and catch us next time. Thank you very much.